And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when the political season isn't over. It continues. And in fact, it reaches a uh, big fateful new act tonight with uh, whatever it is that President Trump is going to tell the country. My strong guess will be that he will use a line that he has used uh, many times recently saying that America is a nation in decline. And do most people agree with that? Well, people overwhelmingly agree with the idea that this is a nation headed in the wrong direction, which is one of the reasons that uh, I, I share some of Ted Cruz's rage that we played you before. It's uh, completely incredible when you have three quarters of the country, according to some of the polls, who think, okay, America's headed the wrong way, and yet they, uh, in many, many places, they gave the party in charge a vote of confidence. And the Democrats have been the party in charge, not only in charge of the White House, but in charge of the House of Representatives and uh, the United States Senate. They're increasing their hold on the U.S. Senate, most likely, uh, depending upon the outcome of the uh, the Georgia runoff with Herschel Walker and uh, Raphael um, uh, Warnock. But the uh, the idea that uh, the D Democrats won elsewhere, they uh, added governorships. They lost a governorship in uh, uh, to Joe Lombardo, who was a very good candidate, who was a sheriff of Clark County. That was in Nevada. That also took a while to figure out. But one of the things that was part of this election was basically the, the terrible mistake of uh, trying to, to make a, a central issue for Republicans the election of 2020. In other words, uh, the only people who cared about that as an issue, if, if, if I'm reading the polls right, and I think that I am, the only people who really cared about that as an issue were people who were sick of it as an issue, who believed, uh, and, and Michael Goodwin makes this point very, very well in the New York Post in this column there. The problem with making a big issue, the stolen election, is so, okay, what do you plan to do about it? And again, uh, what Michael Goodwin said is that when he spoke to President Trump about that, Mr. Trump said, well, he wanted to have a national electoral reform. And the difficulty with that is the Constitution says no. The Constitution gives each state the right to pass its own rules. And by the way, remember there were lots of Republican states that did that after the last election. Georgia did. And... I think one of the things that is very clear and positive and good is not only did Republicans do well in the state of uh, Georgia this time, uh, winning for uh, uh, Governor Kemp and for the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, but uh, Stacey Abrams, who lost by much more than she lost by when she ran against Brian Kemp before, she didn't complain this time. But that hasn't stopped uh, Carrie Lake. The, um, 
the the idea that she hasn't conceded yet, all, all of the news outlets, including Fox News, uh, Fox News uh, announced that the race has gone from Carrie Lake to Katie Hobbs, the Dem- Democrat who was Secretary of State, and uh, she's going to end up winning by about 18,000 votes, it appears, when the count is all done. It's not one of those races like Bush v. Gore, which was decided nationwide, it was decided by 527 votes. I mean, really, no, not 527,000, 527. That's a close election. But the fact is, Carrie Lake is going to end up losing in Arizona by a little bit more than Trump lost in Arizona. And uh, it's a comparable kind of loss, a comparable scale of loss. And it is probably uh, more than 1%, which means there is no recount necessary. She hasn't conceded yet, even though this news came out uh, last night. Uh, Carrie Lake, uh, three days after Americans went to the polls, when she was already running behind, but the polls, the votes were coming in, she went on Tucker Carlson's show, and uh, she basically announced that the election was all over, except the shouting, and that she had won. This is clip two. We've seen this time and time again, and nothing's began and being done. Our elected officials tell us if we dare bring it up, we are conspiracy theorists, we're election deniers. Darn it, we've got to start bringing this up. People are fed up. I was in a Veterans Day parade today, and people were shouting out from the side of the road, please repair our elections. Please count our vote. This is crazy. The people of Arizona are fed up. And when we win, and rest assured, we will. With 100% certainty, we will win. One of the first things I'm going to do on day one is call a special session, bring the legislature in, and say fix these elections and restore honesty and transparency so we can have faith in our elections once again. This is our sacred vote. Okay, the the truth is that there were a number of seats, uh, the uh, Schweikert seat in, uh, in Arizona, where Republicans won very hotly contested congressional seats. Republicans didn't get wiped out in Arizona. Uh, candidates like Blake Masters did, who had nothing to offer and was a terrible choice as a candidate for the Republicans. And, and as for... Carrie Lake, the idea that this is um, a a question that her losing is uh, not a question of what she chose to emphasize and the way she ran her campaign, that it's uh, some kind of problem that is built into the uh, machinery of state and local government. The problem with all of that is it is a Republican governor and a popular Republican governor Doug Ducey, who runs the state of Arizona, and even in Maricopa County, the supervisors who run Maricopa County are Republican. And one of them, one of those Maricopa County supervisors, slammed Carrie Lake because she was talking about the slowness of the vote counting as if it were some kind of a crime. Uh, Listen, this is clip three. Quite frankly, it is offensive for Carrie Lake to say that these people behind me are slow rolling this when they're working 14 to 18 hours. So I really hope this is the end of that now. We can be patient 
and respect the results when they come out. Okay, isn't that a, a more reasonable approach? And then there's this, uh, that uh, Amber Phillips uh, uh, was on parental leave. So she has, an, there's an analysis from the Washington Post, Aaron Blake, on uh, one of the day's biggest political stories. And Aaron Blake of the Washington Post says, Carrie Lake's loss is the biggest 2022 blow to MAGA yet. Uh, if there was one quip that defined Carrie Lake's now failed 2022 campaign for governor, it was what she said about the late Senator John McCain. We don't have any McCain Republicans in here, do we? All right, get the hell out. That's what she said in December of 2021, uh, just beginning her campaign, adding, boy, Arizona has delivered some losers, haven't they? Now, like much of Lake's campaign, it was a page ripped right out of Donald Trump's playbook. Trump continued to rail against McCain even after his death, <clears throat> using the decorated war hero and moderate to set up a foil for his MAGA movement and push the bounds of good taste. You think? But it was certainly a curious move in a state that repeatedly delivered McCain double-digit margins. Okay. That's the point. And the whole idea of winning, winning strategy is adding voters, not chasing them out of your, your assemblage. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. With the events still unfolding in uh, Europe and in Bali, where... Uh, leaders of the world are waking up uh, after the reported strike against Poland by uh, Russian missiles and with uh, two people killed and a grain processing facility. Uh, it's a very serious matter. We're going to be speaking about that coming right up with Ambassador John Bolton, former national security advisor to President Trump. Uh, the the election that is getting settled here, uh, and, and and again, it's I think it's a good thing basically that the Republicans are not going to have a ferocious fight over who is going to be the next speaker of the House of Representatives, assuming that the Republicans get the one or two more seats in the in the House of Representatives that they need to win a majority. And they probably will get more than that. I mean, they are at 217 right now, and all they need is 218. They've got a majority. It's a very fragile majority. It means that one candidate uh, changing parties could have an impact as to who is speaker and who controls the House. And in a body of 535 people, there are all kinds of things. We have approached, apparently the Republicans have approached, uh, Representative Cuellar, who is the most conservative uh, member of the Democratic House caucus. And he's pro-life, and, and on other issues, he is not in line, really, with his party. And he got challenged. He beat off a, uh, a very aggressive challenge from a progressive Democrat in his district, largely Hispanic district. But um, 
he has been approached he's going to be uh, not switching to the Republican Party, so they're not going to get that seat that way. But with all of that going on, there is a uh, at least um, a positive approach by one of the newly elected uh, rising stars for the Republican Party. That's Katie Britt, who uh, was uh, uh, one her a Senate seat that used to belong to uh, Richard Shelby for many years. This is in Alabama. Now, it's a very Republican state, but remember uh, when the Republicans had nominated by, by mistake Roy Moore, remember him, with all those charges against him, and then briefly Doug Jones had uh, taken over that Senate seat. So they had a Democratic senator from the most Republican state in the Union it's kind of an illustration of what happens when you uh, nominate the wrong candidates. Katie Britt is the right candidate. Uh, she's smart and persuasive and articulate and uh, is going to be a fine uh, U.S. Senator with a record of public service and uh, of uh, mainstream conservatism. Uh, here is Senator-elect Katie Britt talking about what she is planning to do when she comes to Washington and the new Senate goes into session on January 3rd. Uh, listen, clip five. The Republican Party is the party of parents. We're the party of hard-working Americans. It's exciting to be that voice at the table. I don't have to ask people what our children are being taught or what moms and dads are going through. I can bring that experience right to the front. I am listening to parents, too, and, and I'm experiencing it myself. Everything from the price of gas and groceries to what our children are being taught in school. Moms and dads want our children to be educated and not indoctrinated. We live in the greatest country on the globe and making sure that our children have the potential to reach uh, the American dream, the one that is allowing me to sit in front of you today, is critically important and that's what we're going to fight for in the U.S. Senate. Okay, and uh, another wing of the party, a, a newly elected congressman who turned a... Uh, blue New Jersey district into bright red was uh, Tom Kane, who is the son of a former governor of New Jersey, a moderate Republican. And uh, he talked about the issues that uh, helped him win his very hotly contested race in New Jersey, 5.5. I took my campaign directly to the voters. Their number one concern was the out-of-control inflation rate that was the highest in 40 years. Everything was more unaffordable for them, every single thing they focused on. And so I listened to the voters and talked about the issues that were important to them. That was issues like um, securing the southern border, manufacturing here uh, at home versus uh, abroad, energy independence, and the out-of-control prices that were impacting their everyday lives. Uh, okay, these are all things that the new Congress with a new speaker and and again, uh, there were 31 votes in the behind the closed doors meeting and uh, against uh, Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker and um, 188 votes for him. So he should win fairly easily. The formal vote, he will need 218 votes, a majority of the actual House of Representatives, including Democrats. So if he is denied support by any uh, substantial faction in the party, like the free, so-called Freedom Caucus, uh, well, it could stop him from being Speaker. 
but it doesn't appear like there is a will to do that this time. Uh, there's also looking forward to President Trump's speech tonight. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has a terrific editorial, and they acknowledge that President Trump had many policy successes, taxes and deregulation, energy security, judges, the Abraham Accords, correcting illusions about Iran, among others. But his character flaws, they write, narcissism, lack of self-control, abusive treatment of advisors, his puerile vendettas, interfered with that success. Before COVID, he was headed for re-election. But the damage from his shutdown of the economy combined with his erratic behavior in that crisis gave Joe Biden the opening to campaign for normalcy. Mr. Trump lost a winnable election. Had he accepted that defeat, writes the Wall Street Journal, he might now be poised for a comeback given Mr. Biden's unpopularity. But Mr. Trump contested the outcome well past any reasonable limit and encouraged his supporters to march on the Capitol on March 6th. He badgered his loyal vice president, Mike Pence, to stop the electoral college vote count to the point where lives were in danger, including Mr. Pence's. The uh, deadly riot will forever stain his legacy. Last week's elections show that clinging to 2020 election denial, as Mr. Trump has, is a loser's game. Republicans who took this line to win his endorsement nearly all lost. The country showed it wants to move on. But uh, Mr. Trump refuses, perhaps because he can't admit to himself that he was a loser. Uh, speaking of losers, we can't affect to have America a loser. And we're letting ourselves fall behind in terms of missile defense. We'll talk about that with Ambassador John Bolton, former national security advisor to President Donald Trump. Uh, Ambassador Bolton coming right up. More Michael Medved in a moment. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. There's a powerful uh, piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And again, this is a particularly juicy journal with a lot of stuff worthy of comment. The, um, the headline is, Victory is the Only Option for Ukraine. The uh, author of the piece, and no, it's not Volodymyr Zelensky, it's Boris Johnson. Remember him? And the piece is brilliant because it, it makes the point that uh, not only would a compromise in which uh, Ukraine gives up some of its sovereign territory and Russia gets rewarded for the most bestial bombardment since World War II, which, uh, which is what Boris Johnson says, not only would be rewarding pure evil, but uh, any compromise would be unjust says uh, Boris Johnson, and Vladimir Putin would be sure to violate an agreement anyway. As uh, he said, uh, it has zero chance of working. Which, uh, which bit should the Ukrainians give up in perpetuity to the Russians? Even if the Ukrainians were to be persuaded to surrender their rights to some of their own land, which they wouldn't, couldn't, and shouldn't be, 
There is no reason to believe that Mr. Putin would stick to the deal. He has already officially annexed four oblasts. He says that uh, Kherson, Zaporozhye, Luhansk, and Donetsk are all now legally part of Russia. Uh, so says Vladimir Putin. As long as he insists on that, um, the chances for achieving any kind of <clears throat> lasting peace or peace agreement are are pretty much nil. And uh, speaking about chances being nil, there are all kinds of discussions about uh, President Trump uh, winning the Republican nomination. And uh, we will get back to that. We, uh, we have Ambassador Bolton on the line and uh, former U.S. National Security Advisor and U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, uh, John, congratulations on the peace today. And it's more timely than ever, isn't it, with the uh, events uh, from uh, Europe that we've all heard about today? Yeah, no, unfortunately, uh, this is a, a potentially very serious development in Poland. I think we're, uh, we still need <clears throat> to gather a lot more facts. But if you need uh, proof of why missile defense, both not only in our deployed forces and our allies in Europe and around the world, but for American civilians at home, uh, th th this is it uh, about as convincingly as you can make. And I think we've. John, you there? out of the uh, ABM treaty and tried to start a national missile defense program. We've made progress at the theater level, but not at the national level, and clearly we've got a long way to go. And uh, is there any, there is some sympathy, is there not, for this point of view and for the need for action on missile defense from the Biden administration? Well, they, they have acknowledged that uh, that the program is important, which is a, a complete 180-degree reversal for Joe Biden, who opposed getting out of the ABM treaty along with John Kerry and Ted Kennedy and all the usual suspects, the Bush administration. But but where you, what we need here is for people to put their money where their mouth is in the defense budget. I mean, we need substantial uh, increases in the defense budget in many, many areas. But, but one that we all ought to be able to agree on, Democrat, Republican alike, is to defend innocent American civilians from missile attack, uh, particularly missiles carrying nuclear weapons from rogue states like Iran or North Korea or, or the growing threat from China and the threat we've known for a long time from Russia. Well, one of the things that is uh, – uh, and we've posted your piece from the Wall Street Journal. It's posted on our website <clears throat> under the heading – missile defense is more urgent than ever. One of the reasons is because of the cooperation uh, of the axis of evil, which I guess now you could say includes Iran, North Korea, and Russia, who are all working together on hypersonic and other very dangerous weapons. Yeah, I mean, the, the ABM treaty's very name is Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. These were uh, the defenses against ballistic missiles, which are easy to track. They follow a ballistic trajectory, so you know where they start and where they're going to end. Hypersonic missiles uh, come in flat and low, and and uh, both hypersonic and ballistic missiles now have capabilities to maneuver, to evade uh, defenses. So it's a, it's a continuing problem uh, of scientific development, but the, the debate is really over 
that, that missile defense can be effective. Joe Biden and Kerry used to say you can't hit a bullet with a bullet. Well, turns out you can hit a bullet with a bullet. Question is how successfully, how often in order to deter your adversary. And uh, in terms of uh, where we stand with the uh, does look like the Republicans are going to be gaining control of the House of Representatives. Uh, do you have any indication that uh, the incoming speaker, Kevin McCarthy, is sympathetic to our needs? Well, I don't I don't think he's really in his political career focused that much on defense. Unfortunately, I think this is a general problem with political leadership in America, Republican and Democrat alike. Uh, but if 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 there's a political argument needed here, even the neo-isolationist within the Republican Party ought to be able to agree on defending American civilians here at home. So if you're looking for ways to unify a fractured party but also get something done that should attract Democratic support as well, uh, missile defense seems to me to be uh, far and away the easiest way to proceed. Well, and part of that is that uh, when you're dealing with deterrence, and the idea of deterrence is, well, you don't need to try to shoot missiles down. You just have to let the opponent know that you're going to answer them with even more devastating missiles. That leaves all kinds of uh, very difficult questions, depending upon the nature of the, uh, the other side's uh, attack. And uh, the, the added flexibility of a missile defense program is one of those things that I think you make the case for very effectively. Well, the, 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 the risk is there could, there could be accidental missile launches. I, I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. Uh, it could be that, that a lunatic regime like North Korea launches half a dozen missiles against the United States because they don't understand deterrence or they think they can survive a response. Uh, and even if, as Colin Powell once said, former Secretary of State, we would turn North Korea into a charcoal briquette if they did that, that doesn't save the innocent Americans killed by the North Korean missiles that get through. So the ability to get, hopefully to get all of them, but at least to get most of them, helps mitigate very substantially the danger to people here in the homeland. What if uh, Russia does not uh, acknowledge its apparent responsibility for the attack today? Uh, does that become more serious? Yeah, I mean, I think their initial uh, response is that it was a Ukrainian surface-to-air missile, a missile defense uh, capability, although it was an S-300 missile, at least by early reports, which Russians have used for offensive purposes. I think NATO may well, at the, in Brussels at NATO headquarters, be meeting overnight. The Poles, I understand, have invoked Article 4 of the NATO treaty, uh, which is consultations based on threats to the territorial integrity of a member state. Uh, so this, we need to treat this very seriously. We don't know all the facts. We don't want to. We don't want to behave rashly, but we should take this very seriously. This is why our European friends are so worried about the Russian aggression against Ukraine. NATO member or not, it affects them. This proves the point. Uh, John Bolton, his uh, book, The Room Where It Happened, is uh, one of the most revealing and insightful memoirs of the Trump administration, particularly on the field of foreign policy. He uh, is a former United Nations ambassador and a former uh, national security advisor in the Trump administration. Uh, we will be right back as we are counting down the 
hours, are we, uh, for a uh, new Trump drive for the presidency. And also, uh, we'll be reviewing a new movie, co-starring Bruce Willis and John Travolta. Yeah, really, next time. Coming up this time on The Medved Show. Well, it's autumn, and if you're going to go out and look at some of the great colors of the leaves and enjoy the season, well, you get more active, and you know what? Maybe some aches and pains. The Wall Street Journal uh, writes about all of the baggage, uh, and that's their term, that they believe that President Trump will carry into the new presidential race that he seems poised to uh, unleash tonight. Uh, he's going to be speaking at 6 o'clock Pacific time, uh, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And uh, I am sure that uh, it will be a meaningful moment in terms of figuring out what's going to be next for the Republican Party and for the country. But the uh, journal says, Mr. Trump will carry all of that baggage into a 2024 race. In 2016, voters took a chance on the brash outsider businessman against the unpopular Hillary Clinton. Now Americans know that the Donald Trump they saw in office is the same one they'd get for another four years. They voted in 2018 and 2020 to stop the daily turmoil. It's hard to believe they'd vote in 2024 to bring it all back and do it all again. Many Republicans who see Mr. Trump as their champion will want to take that chance. They say only he can take on a willful, increasingly radical left. But two years out of office, Mr. Trump remains more unpopular than Mr. Biden. He divides Republicans. While he is the most effective motivator of Democratic voters in terms of their turnout history, even if by some miracle, writes the Journal editorial, Mr. Trump won, he would have a hard time filling an administration with top-notch people. He could only serve one more term. Republicans would be nominating an immediate lame duck. The problem for Republicans is that Mr. Trump's base is so loyal that he might win the nomination in a splintered field. That's what happened in 2016. And if Mr. Trump lost the nomination, would he even accept that result? Or would he sabotage the winner, we are talking about this with Michael Goodwin, by urging his supporters to stay home or by running as a third party candidate? Recall that Mr. Trump refused to promise to support another GOP candidate in 2016. They conclude, the uh, GOP and the country would be best served if Mr. Trump ceded the field to the next generation of Republican leaders to compete for the nomination in 2024. If Mr. Trump insists on running, then Republican voters will have to decide if they want to nominate the man most likely to produce a GOP loss and total power for the progressive left. Uh, sobering? Uh, yes, but it seems to be one of those things that uh, 
it's very, very tough to argue against. And um, uh, meanwhile, there is uh, more which we will cover tomorrow. Uh, columns um, one by Kevin Williamson that appeared in the New York Times why Trump could win again. And part of what is the, the difficulty here is the question, should he get in, if he's planning to, early to try to freeze the field uh, so uh, that Trump supporters question anybody else who decides to enter the race later? In other words, if, if Trump is out there acting as, uh, as he has, as the spokesman for the whole Republican Party, and he's established that he's running for president. Well, if you have that and that's going on, then it discourages someone who sounds like a Johnny-come-lately. Now, the argument against that is that if you have a job as governor of Florida or as governor of Virginia uh, or any other major job that is not just a bloviating senator, that if you have that kind of job, then you can show that you are actually capable of administering a, a major bureaucracy and leading a major party on a state level, perhaps. Uh, and that works as an effective campaign tool, more than just taking out ads and raising money. And the, the other alternative for Trump would be to wait to announce until really the very beginning of the caucus and primary period. That would mean uh, going through all of 2023, maybe getting into the race at the very end of the summer of 2023 when they're getting ready for the Iowa caucuses in the wintertime, the end of the fall. But in, in any event, the, the advantage there is uh, if you announce at the end, there are a bunch of other candidates who have already spent their money and they've already beaten each other up. And then you can come on as above the field and the party needs you because they haven't been able to agree among the various other squabbling candidates. The problem with, with that idea is that it basically denies the suggestion that there would be somebody who would emerge as a clear and obvious front runner. And that's what really happened for George W. Bush. He, uh, he had done like Ron DeSantis. In 1998, President Bush um, won almost 70% of the vote when he was running for re-election as governor of Texas. He was very, very popular. And he just seemed like a sure shot. And he had a challenge in uh, New Hampshire primary. He, he won the Iowa caucuses. He lost the New Hampshire primary to John McCain who went around to all of the different town meetings in New Hampshire and did well that way, doing the person-to-person -person campaigning. But eventually, Bush was such a, the obvious choice that he commanded the nomination and, and didn't really, other than McCain's win in New Hampshire, and he had a win in the Michigan primary, uh, Bush was a, 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 an acclamation kind of nominee. And is that possible for one of the governors? I mean, most obviously DeSantis. Uh, I, I, no one can say at this point that it, it, it is impossible, it seems to me. But I'll tell you what uh, is impossible, which is to find 
Oh, uh, abundant nice things to say about a comeback attempt by John Travolta playing a gangland kingpin in Maui, Hawaii. And he's um, facing off against a uh, dedicated bounty hunter played by Bruce Willis. The movie is called Paradise City. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. John Travolta plays a suave crime boss in Maui, Hawaii, whose powerful empire is challenged by an intrepid bounty hunter played by Bruce Willis and his courageous son, Blake Jenner, in the steamy, seamy, tropical Paradise City. Now playing in select theaters. El Gringo Narco. Biggest meth operation in the Midwest. Are you dangerous? Not to my friends. Well, that's too bad because I have enough friends. But there's not enough plot or characterization to give this formulaic picture any emotion or depth. The Hawaiian locations are more appealing than any of the two-dimensional characters, with performers who look like they're going through the motions and not particularly enjoying the process. It's rated R for lots of blood and shootouts, which never seem particularly convincing. One and a half stars for Paradise City, which is more purgatory than paradise. Purgatory is a polite way of saying it uh, in, in this context. Uh, speaking of uh, which, we uh, tomorrow uh, the whole world is going to be reacting to two huge stories from today. One is the potential expansion of the war in Ukraine to becoming a war against NATO. Uh, has that been tamped down? Will that be tamped down by tomorrow? We will obviously be talking about that and reacting to it here on the Medved Show. We'll also be reacting to uh, what uh, I think you could say safely is uh, the biggest speech of Trump's career so far. He doesn't get to speak to a rally. He loves speaking to rallies, but apparently he will have a bunch of friendly spectators who join him there at Mar-a-Lago. And he will let us know if, as he is so broadly hinted, he is jumping into a campaign for 2024, for 2022. One of the questions that people will ask, will this help or hurt uh, Trump's chosen candidate for Senate from uh, Georgia, Herschel Walker? Uh, we will also be speaking about a milestone that planet Earth is reaching. Eight billion humans. Is that simply too many? Or is the population growth actually a good and healthy sign of economic, cultural, and uh, uh, more human growth? We'll talk about population expert Nick Eberstadt and much more coming up next time in this greatest nation on God's green earth.